My name is Leonor Inez Ortega Till. I'm one of the pastors here at SCUM, and one of the things that I get to do, which is awesome and part of my job that I love, is curate the SCUM art gallery. Would you look behind you and above you? So that bird, bird thing you're seeing is part of the art show. This last first Friday, we had a very special art show. Um, it was a juried art show, and so we had a lot of different artists be in it, in fact, 18 in all. And it was on the subject of, it was, it was corresponding with an event in Denver that a lot of Christians attended called uh, Immigration, Race, and Reconciliation. And so it was a whole symposium about race and reconciliation and immigration policy and law. And so all of the art in there has a story along those lines. And in fact, there's a handout at the back um, that is about, each piece has a story with it, and you can read about that. And the piece here with the birds, you can do that too later if you want. There's a table over here, and it explains. Basically, basically it's our prayers for justice, your hope, your prayer, whatever it is for justice, for peace. Um, please write that on there and hang it up. But some people would say, um, why would a church want to even touch that subject? The other day I was hanging out, hanging the art show, and a woman came by, and she was looking for a friend of hers, and she walked in and and saw the art and the wall and said, I'm looking for a friend of mine, Amy Lean. And I was like, yeah, Amy's probably here. And she, she looked at the art, and I said, yeah, it's an art show about immigration. And she goes, no, I'm definitely in the wrong place. And I said, no, this is Come to the Earth Church. You're in the right place. Uh, and I could see on her face the confusion, the disconnect between why would a church touch something so messy, something so political. Ooh. Um, and you might wonder that, too. Why are we not afraid to shy away from it? That's a big issue, right? But it is a great issue of importance to a lot of people. Um, perhaps you've been watching the news. Perhaps you know that there is a lot of turmoil in our country right now about race. And there's a lot of difficulty around race in Denver right now. There's also a lot of difficulty around immigration happening right in this very neighborhood. You cannot talk about immigration without talking about race. They go hand in hand. We'd like to think they don't, but they do. And part of the problem is that I, and maybe some of you, believe a lie. We believe a lie that there are many races when there's really only one human race, right? Right. We know there's only one human race. And Jesus Christ paid the price for every man, woman, and child in that human race. Um, it's easy to forget that a lot of people are affected by poverty and that the issue, issue of immigration and classism and sometimes racism happens because of classism is occurring because of poverty, poverty in our nation, poverty in our very community. And I will tell you, there are so many children in this very community around you that are affected every single day by poverty. If you read that, um, there was a woman from Denver that posted on Facebook saying, what I wish my teacher knew about me. And one of the things that a child wrote was, I wish my teacher knew I did not have pencils to do homework at home. That's from Denver. So social justice, social justice is the big buzz of the 2000. Anyone have a t-shirt about social justice? Anybody join or like a page of social justice? Come on, admit it. Anybody gone to an event about social justice? It's all the rage. You texted anything? It's all the rage in the 2000s. But guess what? It wasn't in the 90s. In the 90s, we weren't talking about social justice as a way to make change in the world. We were talking about psychology. 
psychology was the buzz in the 90s. And so fresh out of high school, 1995, with my blue mohawk, I went off to CCU, the Christian Mecca, to uh, go to Colorado Christian University, you know, loving the Lord, wanting to change the world for Jesus. What can I do? Oh, psychology. That will be the way to meet the individual and change the world through needs, right? And so I get in my class, the very first class, and I learn about something, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Anybody heard of that? Right, the triangle. Um, Yeah, so one of the first things you learn about when you're taking psychology is the concept, kind of what I'm talking about. It's just social justice a little bit differently phrased, which Maslow said people have basic needs, we, we go in stages. We cannot move to the next stage in our growth as a human being until we go in this process. It has to happen in this process. And so the first thing he says that humans need to be met are physiological. We need air. We need water. We need food. Would you agree? Can you go very long without those things? Without being a total jerk? Shouldn't, right? Especially women. Don't go without food. Um, I can say that from, you know, no, I know it's true for me. Um, But anyway, physiological things are the first thing people, human beings, need. Secondly, he said, human beings need, after they have those needs met, shelter and removal from danger. I think that's true. Probably so. After they have those two things, they have a sense of belonging. A sense of belonging. Human beings need love, affection. They need to feel part of a group. Then, fourth, they need esteem. They need to feel cool. They need to feel like people care about them. And fifth, Maslow said, when you finally get all those things met, and they have to be in that order, according to Maslow, when you finally get all those meet, then you can possibly go up to self-actualization, which for him meant, you know, the ability to be spiritual, I suppose. For Christians, we would believe that's your spiritual place. That's the core where you would meet God, right? That'd be the spiritual place. I think that's a huge tension in the church. Maslow's hierarchy of needs and those kind of concepts, they come into play when you're thinking of a church because there's this tension that some people believe and will constantly say as individuals and as churches, we need to meet the basic needs of humans in order for them to get saved. We need to go give them clean water, sanitary conditions, food and shelter, and then they will get saved. Other people believe, no. Don't worry about that. The first thing you need to do is Maslow on its head. No, you need to first tell the gospel, the biblical truths, get a prayer recited, get the heart and the truth in their mind, and then they will be saved. It's an ongoing tension. Which do we do first? Which does Jesus care about? And what does this have to do with racism and immigration and issues and tension? Well, some people believe violence and oppression will stop when humans get their basic needs met. If humans are not in poverty, if they're not hungry, if they're not, have not having a place to live and they feel intention, violence and oppression will stop. And other people will say violence and oppression will stop when people believe the truths of the Bible and apply them, the principles of Christ. When people follow Christ's example and treat people well, violence and oppression will stop. And I'm wondering, does Jesus care about our basic needs and does Jesus care about our spiritual health? Well, yes. Yes, the answer is yes, right? He does. He cares about both of those. He does care about our physical needs, and he does care about our spiritual needs. And we're going to look at this through the lens of a story tonight. This is a story. So let's go on. 
Um, but before we go on, let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for everyone here. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you be glorified. And if you have anything to add to my notes or take out of my notes, go for it. Um, you are super rad. Amen. Okay, so if you grew up in the church, you have heard this story. And that's why I'm going to look at you, Todd, and make sure you stay awake. Okay. Um, a couple of you, I'm going to make sure you stay awake. If you have not grown up in the church and you hear this for the first time, perhaps, when you hear it for the first time, keep in mind, I am preaching this as if it is true. I do believe this is true. Yes, it's going to be a miracle. That's why we call it a miracle. But it's also in the Bible, and I also believe the miracles, and I believe the Bible is true. So there, just saying that for you. I don't think it's a metaphor for anything. I think it's true. So here we go. We're continuing in our study of Luke. Um, we are in Luke 9, 10 through 17, NIV, nice and small for you, but I'm going to read it here. Um, can't see it up there. When the apostles returned, they reported to Jesus what they had done. Then he took with them, then he took them with him and they withdrew by themselves to a town called Bethsaida. But the crowds learned about it and they followed him. He welcomed them and he spoke about the kingdom of God and he healed those who needed healing. Late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and said, send the crowd away so they can go to the surrounding villages and the countryside and find food and shelter because we're in a remote place here. He replied, you give them something to eat. They answered, we have only five loaves of bread and two fish unless we go and buy food for all this crowd. About 5,000 men were there. But he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. The disciples did so, and everyone sat down. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke them. Then he gave them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. So this is the only miracle that is recorded in all four of the Gospels, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. They all have different details, but they're all mentioned there. Um, according to the gospels, when Jesus had heard that John the Baptist had been, uh, beheaded, he withdrew by boat privately and he brought all of his 12 main guys, his apostles, disciples, those words are sometimes used interchangeably with him. Um, and when they returned with him, they reported what they had done. If you remember a few weeks back, we talked about Jesus had sent out his disciples with no staff, no bread, no money, no shirt to go and heal and preach the good news. And so they'd come back and they're going to basically give a report, hang out with him, some intimate time, right? That makes sense. Um, but all of a sudden, here's this big crowd as usual, right? So Jesus goes on boat to this place and on foot, 5,000 people come. Well, keep this in mind. It's not just 5,000 people. Luke records how many men came, but we're also talking women and children. So it could be 10 or 20,000 people. So Jesus is going to go hang out with his 12, whoa, a lot of people. And I don't know how Jesus works as far as what he knows is going to happen and what he doesn't know is going to happen. But you can imagine by now he has a hunch that people are going to follow him, right? He's, this is a theme in his life. People are going to follow you. Um, paparazzi. And you can also tell that with this hunch, he, um, he might get annoyed. I don't know. Maybe he's thinking, oh, man, get in a cave, do this, do this. How are we going to get away? But no, he's not like that. And it occurs to me at this point that Jesus is inconvenienced. And then I kind of stop and say, wait, can Jesus be inconvenienced? I don't know. 
I don't know. I guess, I guess if he's part human, he can be inconvenienced, right? So um, Jesus is being inconvenienced, but he's not a jerk about it. He's like, okay, everybody's here. I welcome them and I will heal them and I'm going to teach them. This is what happens. This is we roll with it, right? Be flexible. So um, seems to me that Jesus is setting up the apostles to also do some more work. So let's see what he's going to do. He's got all these 12 guys with him. He's ready to talk to them about everything. And in verse 12, we hear late in the afternoon, the 12 came to him and they're kind of freaking out because they see all these people and they're in a remote place and they say, send the crowd away so we can go to the surrounding villages and countryside and find food and lodging. Here we see the disciples caring about the basic needs of these people. People are going to get hungry. Babies are crying. Women are freaking out. You know, it's probably time to eat, probably time to sleep. Men are probably like getting a little annoyed too. Like, what am I going to figure out? It's getting time. Like, okay, Jesus, that was good. Awesome that you healed all these people. Moving on, right? Moving on. Um, but, but the disciples, this is cool. We give them a bad rap all the time. We always say, oh, the disciples, those idiots. They don't get it again. They're confused. They promise things they won't come through on. And I get it. They screw up a lot, right? But at this point, they're being compassionate. So I think that's cool. I think that's nice of them. Um, and they're caring about the basic needs when the people only came to get their spiritual needs met. The people aren't concerned about their basic needs. I don't know. They're just like, hey, Jesus is here, so I want to be here. Um, I think that's interesting. But in compassion, the disciples are worried about the crowd. And of course, Jesus looking at his disciples saying, hmm, you're worried about it? You take care of it. You do it. Oh, the audacity of Jesus, right? And of course, they take inventory. And in one of the books, it says, you know, they find a young kid and he has this to offer. And that's cool that it's a young kid. We like that in the plays. We like that in the coloring books. And it's true. There's a young kid that offers it up. And it shows the beautiful willingness of this young kid. And I like to think my young kid would do that. But, um, The answer after taking inventory, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Unless we go and buy food for all this crowd, which, yeah, right. Um, So this is interesting. Jesus says, instead of just go distribute to all these people, he says, have them placed and faced. He has them sitting in groups of 50. So we're talking about groups, about 100 groups of 50. He, Jesus places them and faces them in these little pods of people, right? And so the crowd sit in 50, groups of 50 or 100, so about 100 groups. And taking the five loaves and two fish and looking to heaven, Jesus gives thanks. And then he gives all this food to the disciples. And Luke doesn't say how the food comes about. That's not what he's emphasizing. That's not the important part. The important part is that as the food is going out, there is enough. Everybody eats and is satisfied. And in fact, there's food left over. There's 12 baskets left over. Some people believe that the significance of that is the 12 tribes of Israel. Point being, everyone's satisfied and there's some left over. I love this. I love this. And I love that it talks so much about the kingdom of God. And you're probably annoyed by people being up here saying, I love this. I love this. Last week, Jesse, that's all he kept saying. And you know how punk rock emo he is. And you know how Jesse is usually like kind of, sorry, I don't care. He's sometimes like, uh, 
But he was stoked, and it made me so happy last week to see him preach on something he was stoked about. And he kept going like this, guys, guys, I'm so happy. And he gets his Beavis and Butthead voice, and he was so happy. And this makes me happy too. And why? It makes me happy not just because, guys, 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 we're happy because we get to give, but we get to receive. And also what Jesse said about last time, the kingdom of God is not for us when we die later. That's going to be rad. That Don't get me wrong. I'm stoked on that. Stoked. I'd be cool if it came tomorrow. Take note. But if it doesn't, the kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is now. The kingdom of God is now. Happening now. And that's why we're so stoked to remind us, you know. The miraculous feeding of the 5,000 is a sign that Jesus is the Messiah. That he has already come and that he lives in our hearts. Um, but even after he came... And after all, or even after he's been hanging out with these disciples for a while, they forget in the midst of their need and their desperation for the basic needs of the humans, they forget this is the miracle maker, God. They forget he has calmed the storm. They forget Luke 137, that nothing is impossible with God. What is the significance of Jesus feeding the 5,000 for Jesus? Consider the themes of what he is saying. He is saying, I care. I heal. I provide. I have a rich compassion. I want to care for you as a father cares for a son. He is exemplifying his father. He is showing grace. He is showing love. Jesus is reflecting every image of God here. Consider the metaphors that Jesus uses. I am the living water. I am the bread of light. And in Matthew 26, 26, when he talks about communion, he says, while they're eating, Jesus took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat this bread is my body. Then he took a cup, which he had get when he gave thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it. This is my blood. This wine is my blood, the covenant, which is poured for the many of forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew in my father's kingdom. He is the sustenance, basic need and spiritual need at the same time. And the significance for the 12 disciples is a little bit different. Jesus chose to call upon the 12 to carry out his provision. Not that he's not the sustenance, but he's choosing them to get them involved. He lets them be part of the process. These are 12 simple men from different cultures from different areas of expertise, none of which probably is a miracle worker, you can just say, or a magician. Um, but this is an audacity of faith that Jesus is calling them into. The audacity to say, feed these people off of what you have. And it's the audacity of faith that they have to step into. When they start making these people into little pods, into little groups, do you think, how are we going to pull this off? How many people went to scum of the earth when we were at church in the city? Do you remember thinking all the time, how are we going to pull this off when 300 people were coming in and we had two pots of food? And yet every time we had enough, somehow, somehow we always had enough. And they're probably wondering this audacity of faith that, no, we said we're going to do it, so we're going to do it. I think of Andrew, Bartholomew, James, James, John, Judas, Jude, Matthew, Peter, Philip, Simon, and Thomas. Guys, just guys having to make this miracle happen with Jesus. And I think of them 
And I, I just want to shake him and say, remember that he calmed the storm. Remember that he stopped the woman from bleeding. Remember that little girl that was raised from the dead? He can do this, right? He's got this. He's under control. And then when I think of us, I want to shake us and say, okay, remember what he did. He's got this under control because oppression, oppression, look at those birds, oppression, oppression, I can't say it, classism, immigration, all the isms, all the isms, all the things that mess with us, the wars, countries not getting along, current genocide, absolute poverty, suicide, the things that plague us every day in the world around us, doesn't that seem daunting? Doesn't that seem like something we cannot touch, even begin to touch? Doesn't it seem like when we look in our basket, we see pathetic crumbs of fish and bread and say, I have nothing to offer to affect change, to be an agent of change, to do anything? And you're asking me to make a difference? How? Do you mind filling me in? And when we think about basic needs for humans, basic needs. We are the 1% in this country. Basic needs that people don't have. We wonder how can we make a difference? How can I make a difference? And when we think about spiritual needs, when you know somebody and they come up to you and they say, you know, I don't know anything about God, never learned about Jesus, but can you teach me the Bible? That's a little overwhelming. The Bible, really? Let's, let's meet for coffee for two hours. The Bible, really? <laughs> Serious, it's daunting. It's overwhelming. God, how do I get from A to B teaching this woman the Bible at age 27? Oh, okay. That reminds me of why he put the people in the pods. Friends, I want to tell you there's another miracle we're missing here. The most beautiful miracle in this section of Bible is the miracle of community, the miracle of community. He placed them and he faced them so that they could help one another. He placed the 12 together to help one another. I think this is the miracle that scum exhibits and lives in every single day. I have lived and my sustenance has been the miracle of community at scum of the earth church. A lot of us experience that constantly. Um, And some people experience that that don't even go to this church, but they still hang around the fringes. We've got bike shops. We've got mom's group. We've got, you know, going out to clubs. We've got just hanging out. We've got weddings. We've got celebrations. We've got babies. We've got so much in this community. And I see Jesus time and time again place us and face us in different times in different pods so that we can enjoy each other and learn from each other and not be overwhelmed with how are we going to help people with basic needs? Let me talk to that one for a minute. Women's Homelessness Initiative. Helping women with basic needs in the city of Denver. Women's clothing exchanges. Giving away of food, working at the rescue mission, volunteering. There are ways to get involved with people's basic needs. Sending out missionaries. That's both. That works with both. Um, And then spiritual things, small groups, scum study center, going to seminary for a class, auditing a class, having a mentor. There are ways you can be placed and face yourself. This is part of your duty too. So that you don't do it alone. You don't have to do it alone. You don't have to meet people's basic needs or spiritual needs alone. 
It doesn't have to be as daunting as we make it feel, as isolated as we make it feel. It is such a relief to me that I don't have to take the meager things that I have and offer them to somebody, but that when I meet somebody, whether they have a basic need or a spiritual need, I can say, yeah, me and you. You guys are coming alongside me, right? Right? Okay. And look at each other. You're coming alongside each other, right? Right. Um, So let me encourage you. Let me encourage you um, with one last thought. Jesus is the provider. If you're going to try to give people what you have, or if you're going to try to distribute what you have, good luck. No offense. It's not going to go very far. But if you are going to tap in to Jesus and what he has for you, and if you're going to utilize the people that he's put in your life, then I want to pray with you because awesome things are going to happen. All right. Be amazingly blessed. Thanks.